How do we guard the gospel? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. Brian, we're in the epistles again. Yes, we are zagging. That's right. We're, we'll eventually be zigging back. We will. Yeah. Um, Next episode. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, I know that our zigzags can be a little confusing for, for people, but let's just... Uh, let's just remind everybody, why is it that we are doing this? Oh, you want me to remind them? I thought you were going to. I do. To. No, no, no. Let's, <laughs> right. I want you to. Yeah, well, we're doing this because as we kind of make our way through the book of Acts, it's just really helpful, we believe, to find jumping off points to where we see, usually Paul, because he wrote most of the epistles, but not only Paul, where we see some big ideas that are drilled down more deeply. And, and in doing this, I think we're seeing the cohesiveness of Scripture. We're, we're seeing and coming to a better understanding of what we encounter in the book of Acts as well. So I, it's just a, an interesting approach and hopefully a helpful approach as we're doing this. So, you know, as we're making our way through the early church's development in Acts, this is one thing we've seen. We've seen leaders being appointed. We've seen a, a problem with an absence of leaders. We've seen leaders taking a role of authority. We're going to see that in an episode or two coming up when we get to the Jerusalem Council. And so it's just helpful to jump over and let's see what Paul wrote to Timothy about leadership later on. And it gives extra understanding to what we encounter in Acts and vice versa. Yeah. What we see in Acts can help us understand what we're seeing here as well. So that, that's kind of the reason why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Let me set the context up for this and then give you the, the joy of reading a couple of passages from 2 Timothy. Perfect. Uh, we're going to be looking at two chunks of, of text. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 14, and then we're going to skip. I think it's two or three verses at the end of that. We're going to skip over just for time and clarity and go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So the context with this, just broadly, is that Paul writes to Timothy this epistle while he's in his final imprisonment. He requests a visit from Timothy. He wants to see Timothy again. But in, in light of that, in light of, you know, maybe he thought maybe Timothy might not get here in time or whatever the case may be, let me give him some final encouragement. Or it may just been, I want him to have this in writing, these words. They're that important. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit prompting him to do this. Um, so he writes Timothy this letter, which is full of encouragement, leader to leader, um, almost a pastor to pastor type of, of model. Um, it's the most personal of the letters that, that Paul wrote. Paul gets personal in many of his letters, mm-hmm. but this is, I mean, from start to finish almost, it is a very personal. You can just see he's, his yeah. affections for Timothy, um, just pouring out his heart concern for him, sage advice and so forth to, to Timothy. So that's kind of the context. And we're going to see how that plays into this discussion about what it looks like to be a godly leader. Yeah. All right. And with that, uh, we are going to start by reading uh, reading a couple of passages. So Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 14, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So 
Here we go. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And then continuing in chapter 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Okay, so we've got a lot here. We've got a lot of talk about, okay, joining me in suffering for the gospel. We've got and share in this suffering. And then gives these these three different examples of, of, yeah. of it as, uh, as illustrations. So as a good soldier, as an athlete, serve as an athlete, um, work as a, be a hardworking farmer. Um, all of these kind of things. So thinking about the, these couple of passages, what kind of questions should we be asking? Yeah, let's start at the top in, in chapter 1, verse 8. I think one of the first questions that should kind of uh, come to our minds is, why would someone be ashamed of the gospel? Paul says we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. So the, the question I think is begging itself, why would somebody be ashamed of the gospel? And think about the context in which Paul is writing. Mm -hmm. um, he is writing as a prisoner because of the gospel. Many, and he was not alone, many of the earlier early followers of Jesus were outcast, they were arrested, they were persecuted. So, you know, in that culture, in that day, to be a follower of Jesus meant basically often you were just this, this nobody or, you know, you were just treated wrongly. Um, what kind of religion do you have that leads to that kind of lifestyle? I mean, that's really what you're after. Mm -hmm. That's what you're trying to sell to us, that we're to buy into this so that we can suffer with you. And then think about what the message of the gospel itself is. I mean, the heart of the gospel is about a Jew who is executed as a criminal by the Romans. And so you're, you're going to the Jews and saying, hey, here's the gospel. It's about a Jew who was executed by the Romans who you despise. You're going to the Romans and saying, you want to follow this Jew who your people executed. It just, again, it just, it doesn't make sense to the world. Yeah. So it's understandable that in that context, especially the gospel was met with chuckles and snide remarks and laughs, rolled eyes and not taken seriously by many. You mean like it is today? 
like it is today. I was going to get there, but it, it would, it would make sense that, that Paul would literally be telling people it's not, I don't think it's just a, a, you know, hyperbole here. I think it's literal. He's saying, don't be ashamed of it. Um, don't be bashful. Don't be like, ah, oh, shucks. I got to tell you this thing. Yeah, I know it doesn't make much sense and I'm kind of embarrassed by it, but this Jesus, you know, yeah, he was crucified. No, be bold, proclaim it. It's beautiful. It's true. So don't be ashamed. And, and Aaron, as you led us to, it's the same today. Mm-hmm. Christians can be viewed as narrow and closed-minded, and because of the gospel, we can be accused of that rightly for other reasons, but we, we can be accused of being narrow-minded because we say Jesus is the only way to be saved, for example. Mm-hmm. We can be accused of being hypocrites. Um, you know. And again, we do a lot of dumb things to add grounds for some of these accusations, but taking that, put that aside... Yeah, we live in a culture, and it seems like it's increasing, where the the gospel is not viewed favorably, and we can also be tempted to do the same thing, mm-hmm. be kind of quiet about it, you know, and say, well, I don't really want to admit this, because, you know, it's just not intellectually cool, or it's not, you know, it, it, it doesn't fit the vibe of our culture being accepting and so forth. Yeah. And so we can we can be ashamed and be quiet about it as well. That actually, and so that leads to our second question, which is, um, what does suffering for the gospel look like? And so that's something we see in verse eight as well. Um, Paul is suffering in his specific case and co- in immediate context. In this, he's imprisoned. He's awaiting his ultimate. He's awaiting his death. At this at this point, he's been imprisoned multiple times. More broadly. Yeah. He's been beaten multiple times. He's been shipwrecked multiple times. He's been uh, constantly beset by opponents and including former friends. And so his his mi- life and ministry as a believer really were marked by suffering in in virtually every sense, um, relational, physical, uh, societal. Uh, you everything but spiritual ultimately yeah. because of where his trust was um and so that is important for us to remember because those those things are very real um imprisonment and death in certain contexts are absolutely things that that are experienced um where you talked about um different different reasons that people might be ashamed here today for the gospel um there's rejection and it it re- and ultimately believing Jesus requires sacrifice yeah. part of the reason that really suffering comes with it is there is a societal there is societal opposition um because really when you follow Christ there like you don't fit anywhere um, and especially in his day, I mean, one of the things to remember is is that your religious beliefs were based on where you were born, what where you were born, and what ethnicity you were. So it was all tied together. Christianity is completely the not that. Um, it has nothing to do with your ethnicity. It has nothing to do with your place of birth. There's no such thing as I'm a Christian because I was born. I was bo- because my parents were Christian. Every single one of us 
in a very real sense, is effectively a first-generation Christian. There's no such thing as a second-generation Christian from a particular point of view. So there is that, that reality. And suffering for the gospel today does mean those same kinds of societal rejections. Um, it, does, it can mean sacrifice, um, absolutely. It definitely means those things. But well, here's one of the things that we have to be careful of um, as well is, is that we need to recognize that discomfort or mild opposition, um, so someone, you know, someone teasing or, you know, a, you know, the various hashtags that are out there about, um, you know, about Christian belief, um, whatever, um, those are different than suffering. Yeah. Those are the, those are not, those are not what, uh, or what Paul has in view by saying suffering yeah. for the gospel. He's talking about something much bigger, something much costlier. Yeah. And we don't want to minimize the mild opposition or discomfort or, yeah, or say yeah. it's not, doesn't matter at all, but let's be careful not trying to equate it. Oh yeah. I've, I've suffered for Jesus because of, of discomfort or something. Or, right. Yeah. All right. So the next question we see in verse 12, and um, this is a, a verse that I almost want to sing because it's part of a hymn that I grew up singing, but I will not because I don't sing well. And I can't exactly remember the words of the hymn. They're not quite the CSB. Why didn't they write that hymn years ago in the CSB knowing what would happen? Anyway, in verse 12, it ends with, with Paul saying, but I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. The question is, what does he mean? What has mm -hmm. been entrusted to him? And in the original Greek in which this was written, that is an odd phrase. It literally translates my entrustment. So it, it, it's kind of, you know, ambiguous mm -hmm. in, in, in the language, and it's hard to decipher grammatically what is going on here. So I think a lot of scholars and commentators kind of have two different ideas of what he may have meant here. The first is the gospel, that mm -hmm. the gospel is entrusted to him. The second, and Jesus or God's going to preserve that, the second would be his life or his soul, Paul's life or soul that has been mm -hmm. entrusted, and, and Jesus, God will preserve it. Both are true in, in capacities. So either fits. Um, again, Christ will indeed guard the gospel message. He will protect it. Um, and Christ will indeed guard our lives, perhaps mm -hmm. not in the way we might think. I mean, Paul was on the way to execution, and he wasn't unaware of that. Um, death might be how he guards us, you know, for, for faithful use in the kingdom. We don't like to think about this, but it's true. Yep. So either might be true. We don't know what quite uh, Paul may have met. Um, maybe he did want to be ambiguous. Maybe he was thinking about both. We're not quite sure, but both of those are true. So both could work. And, and so I think that might help to understand it. Here's a, here is a really important question that really is the question that launched this episode, uh, which is how does one hold on to the pattern of sound teaching and guard the good deposit? And so we see this, this raised in verses 13 and 14. And so we need to. What we need to know is this primarily is addressing church leaders. So think in terms of pastors, elders, teachers, that kind of thing. But it does have an every believer application as well. Yeah. 
so there is a there is a, a degree to which this is a matter of diligence in study. So keeping your focus on the gospel as you study as you study the scriptures as you seek to understand it more. It also means holding secondary issues more loosely and clarifying on them. So so think about it this way. It's okay for a pastor or a teacher to share preferences and opinions, uh, but they have to be framed that way. So for example, I don't like dogs. I don't. I don't like pets in general. But that doesn't mean that dogs or dogs or pets are bad unless they're cats. Um, yes, cats but- are bad. Dogs are good. <laughs> Getting back to reality here in our, uh, when we're talking about theological, like personal theological convictions, personal beliefs around secondary and tertiary issues. And so just as a reminder for our listeners, when we talk about primary, secondary, tertiary issues in theology, all of those things matter, but they have different weights. So a primary issue is something that fundamentally alters our our understanding of the gospel and of God. The Trinity as an example is a yes. first is a primary issue. What we because it's what we believe about God. The nature the deity of Jesus is connected directly to that one. That fun what we believe about who and what Jesus is changes how we understand God and the gospel. So if he is just a man and not also God, then he can't fulfill the law for us because no human being is perfectly sinless and no human being is on their own perfectly capable of fulfilling every command of God in the way that God intended. And if Jesus is only God and not all and not also human, then he cannot act as our substitute because he's not actually one of us. We, re- we need someone who is like us, who is familiar with the temptations that we all experience, who is familiar with what it means to be under the law in the way that humanity is in order to be our substitute, in order to represent us before God. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. Have I said anything accidentally heretical? No, I don't believe so. Perfect. Okay, now let's go to a secondary issue. Okay, so um, here's another one that is a little bit more contentious. Um, It is in terms of a secondary issue. It is one that um, there is actually disagreement on, genuine disagreement among, um, broadly among Christians. So... Brian and I, Brian, you and I, we live in Southern Baptist land, so um, so there isn't a large scale disagreement on on this piece within our immediate context, but there is beyond it, and so that is, of course, who can be a pastor or who can be mm-hmm. an elder, and so yes. is it limited to one gender or is it open to both? Yes. Not all Christians agree on this. However, it is not an issue of salvation. But it's very important. It is an important issue. That's why it's a secondary exactly. issue. Um, another one that is a secondary issue, that is an important issue, age of the earth. It's mm-hmm. a secondary issue. It does not... Aff- what you believe about how old the earth is and the mechanics of uh, about through which God created the yeah. world does not determine whether you are or not a Christian. Now, it does 
affect how you read the Bible. Yeah. And so every view on that has its own unique challenges to that. So there are problems with a young earth view. There are problems with an old earth view. There are problems with theistic evolution. There's all these kinds of things. Yeah. You know, I, another one is is the mode of baptism and, and who is baptized and when. Yes. And again, it's really important. It's not primary. No. But it's at least secondary. And I like to look at secondary ones as as reasons why you might have different churches themselves. Yes. So, you know, if you can think about, you know, a Presbyterian, for example, and a Southern Baptist traditional, if they both kind of hold the, the general views, they're subsets within each, mm-hmm. they should unite as brothers and sisters in Christ because they hold to the primary, the gospel. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes down to baptism, now there's going to be an issue of how do we practice as a local body of believers, mm-hmm. and there's going to be disagreements. And for the better of everybody to avoid conflict to, so that everybody can practice their conscience based on what they know Scripture to be, it would be wise to have a different group of Presbyterians over here and a different group of Baptists over here Yes, in day-to-day practice. Yep. Um, and the one I gave is both a secondary and tertiary <laughs> um, as, as well. So it really should be a tertiary issue in that it's important, but it shouldn't cause a church to, it shouldn't cause believers to not be able to fellowship in, a, in an immediate context. You're talking about the age of the earth? Correct. Yeah, I would put that as a tertiary, but I could see how somebody would move it up to secondary if they amplify it, as you were kind of indicating. Correct. Way, but this really frames your understanding of some other important doctrines. Mm-hmm. So if you if you grouped it in with some other things, I could understand how it could be a secondary. Yes. And of um, itself, I would say, yeah, probably third. Yeah. And uh, another one that really should be a tertiary issue as well is... Uh, spiritual gifts and specific, and so the the big terms are cessationism and continuationism. Yes. So are are all of the gifts that we see expressed in the New Testament still active and available for everyone today, or did they cease at some point? Um, yeah. That is a tertiary issue. So if you think about it this way, all right, you disagree with the gospel, you're not a church. Correct. You disagree with a secondary issue, you're probably not in my church. You disagree on a third issue, you're in my church, we just don't agree on that. Yep. So I think that's a great way to summarize it. And so as long as we remember what is at, what is primary, and that takes work. Yeah. And it takes, and on an individual level, it takes a lot of humility because we all have blind spots. And we can't see, and so, which means simply we can't see what we can't see about ourselves and what we think and what we believe. Um, some of us, we've been conditioned by our background, our environment, all of these things to, to believe that certain things are really more fundamental than they are. So politics goes right into that category yeah. as an example. So um, important, but should not be as defining yeah. as it is. So we just have to, we have to phrase them correctly and, and co- given the context. Yeah. And I think one of the problems is often we invert these. We fight harder for third re- issues than we do primary ones at times. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, I think it's a helpful 
way, and it's not unique to us, of course. No, um, of course not. But, but it's a helpful way to triage your these beliefs and understanding. And somebody listening may disagree and say, well, Brian, you kind of think of those secondary ones as reason to have a different church. And there could be secondary issues that can be with it and live within one church. So again, you and I, Aaron, we painted with a little bit of a broad brush here, but hopefully it's been helpful and, and people can uh, see and understand what we're doing with that. Yeah, totally. So let's get to the next question there of... Um, we see in, in chapter 2, verse 2, a really uh, common verse, a great verse. Uh, Paul says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And just real quick, following up on what you just were sharing about, Aaron, what is it that Paul had in mind to be committed to faithful men, to others? And again, we would say it's the gospel. It's that primary, that first level, that um, first order issues that he had in mind here. Um, and I think this is helpful and, and we can amplify this again, the context here, Paul says to men, because he has pastors in mind and training other elders and pastors, but we can amplify this and say, as we're discipling others. And so it's people, men and women as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, what do we want to commit to them? The gospel, and he, we have to understand this. Our mission is not to make clones of ourselves, mm -hmm. of our primary issues, yes, but not necessarily our secondary or tertiary. Um, and, and so the win is to make somebody who has the primary level in check. Mm -hmm. We agree with them. But if I'm discipling somebody and, and they just do not believe what I believe about a secondary or especially third level issues, that's okay. My job is not to make them like me. My job is to help make them like Christ. They imitate Christ, not me. So mm -hmm. we want them to hold on to the gospel, and we want to allow variances in secondary and tertiary level issues, but not primary. All right. So uh, that is a really good point. What? And then we've got one more question, which is, uh, what is the purpose of those three analogies that we see at that see in that final passage that we that we were looking at? I mean, we spent so much time talking about chapter one, just talked a little bit about chapter two, but the bulk of it of of what we read in chapter two is these three. Yeah. So uh, in verses four, in verse four, remember there's that soldier analogy. So. Uh, and then in verse five, there's the athlete, and then there's six, which is, uh, which is the farmer. And so, with those three, uh, there are three things that are that are really in mind. One is is the single focus. So the soldier is this idea of the single singular focus of serving Christ, that we should be ready to go, unquestionably following Jesus. Again, this is very important. Unquestionably following. Jesus, because yeah. it's a soldier of Christ Jesus, not a soldier of human, uh, solely human. <laughs> Good catch. Uh, there we go. Hey, you know, we're trying to avoid heresy here. So uh, this is what we do. Um, the athlete, um, this is this image of living in obedience to Christ. And so training yourself um, diligent practice, oh, um, continually working toward getting better in your, um, as you pursue obedience and pursue ultimately the prize that awaits you. 
um, which um, you know they Paul uses the 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 crown at the end of the race uh, kind of thing, and but he also follows it up with the farmer in verse six, which really is about keeping the goal in mind. The the farmer gets gets a share, gets his share of the crop, gets the first share of the crop. And so for us, it's we get to look for, we have a goal in mind, which is eternity with Christ. Ultimately, a, a sinlessly perfect existence with him forever. That, and, and that's what we're working toward. That's what we're longing toward. And that's why we go out and share the gospel with people in order for them to join us in that. Yeah. So those are marks that a godly leader should be expressing. And then that's mm-hmm. the goal of what a godly leader should be pursuing in, in, in the church. Yes. So let's drive this home, um, uh, Aaron. I think we've already hit on some of this. So let me just kind of summarize real quickly mm-hmm. some, some guidance we can offer to somebody working through this passage with somebody else. And again, we've hit on a lot of these things, so just real quick. Um, the first, I think when we come across this passage, if we're, if we're studying it with somebody we can't miss the opportunity to talk about how we want to be in a posture of developing love, respect, and deeper appreciation for our church leadership. That, that recognizing they are a gift from God. They're not perfect, of course, but they're a gift from God. So how can we follow them? How can we encourage them and support them well? And then we also want to consider our view of the gospel. We've talked about this quite a bit with those first, second, and third level order issues and so forth. Um, you know, are we holding the gospel rightly? Are we ashamed of it? We talked about that earlier in the episode. Um, are we willing to suffer for it? So I think this is a good opportunity for us to consider our relationship to the gospel itself. And then third, I think this is a great opportunity for us to encourage those we're discipling to be careful as they are um, consuming and sharing teachings of others, that we want to be discerning in this. Uh, we want to test what we hear. We want to be very careful about what we speak, of course, because we want to make sure that we are protecting the message of the gospel in, in, in our minds, what we're drinking in and what we're speaking out. Now, let me just say real quick, this does not mean that you just swim in your stream and no other. Um, don't get into the, the mode of getting in such a narrow sliver of what you're ingesting. Um, even if it's true, which is good, of course, mm-hmm. it is helpful for us to be reading things beyond that with discernment. We want to read outside of our specific tribe. We want to read even, and for those, if you're discipling somebody and they're growing more in their faith and, and are more mature, even read things in opposition. It's good to know what the world thinks about the gospel, for example. It's good to know how the world con- considers identity. You know, we know identity is based in Christ, but the world is finding identity in other. It's helpful to know those things so that we can mm-hmm. relate to people as we share the gospel with them. So we don't want to be just be consuming so narrowly out of fear. You know, I just want to protect the gospel and I'm just going to read this real narrow sliver. No, we, we want to mature to the point where we're, we're getting beyond that, but with discernment. So I, I think those are a couple of things that we can help. Um, as we disciple others. Yeah, definitely. All right, Brian, this has been a good conversation. um, And thanks for summarizing that really, really well. 
And uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.